how will the metaverse change the way we sell? And more importantly, how can we prepare sellers for the future of sales? Today I've invited Carly and we talk about a variety of topics ranging from how seasoned salespeople tend to forget the basics and how her sorority shaped her as a leader. I've written a lot of stuff down about this episode, things that I will remember for my future sales endeavors, I'm pretty sure about that. You'll love this one. I am Bram and this is The Sound of Sales. Could you do me a quick favor if you're listening to this? Please hit the follow or subscribe button. It helps more than you think. I like definitely get my fulfillment through like seeing others succeed and hopefully being a small part of that journey. People expect and almost demand like excellence when it comes from salespeople. That would be the message I would want to share with the world is just to be kind. A lot of people um, told me to get you on the show um, and were pointing fingers at you. Oh would, you, would you know why that is? <laughs> I'm so flattered. That's like the best compliment I could like ever receive. Um, I mean, Malvina and I have a really fun, like, uh, I guess you could call it a podcast. I like to think of it as like a web series, yeah. but, um, <laughs> but yeah, she and I like have been having a lot of fun with the enablement brew and uh, we've gotten some really good feedback on it and which is pretty great because we have done literally no marketing of it whatsoever except for sharing mm -hmm. on our personal linkedins and so um yeah pretty pretty happy with that but but yeah what's the difference for you between a podcast and a web series um i always just thought of podcasts as like audio only okay yeah but yeah we're we're doing video here as well so it's yeah so it's a web series I guess so that's how I like thought of it but you know I'm seeing like you know with TikTok and all of these other um like social media platforms out there like people are basically mm -hmm. showing their podcast conversations over video so I guess like a podcast now is beyond just um it's more like it's like a talk show is really what it's become yeah. it's like the new wave talk show um so yeah, yeah. It's something different. I, I still remember when I had uh, my first iPod in must be 2009 or something that it had the function to upload podcasts. Yeah, I remember that. Now that I think about it. Um, yeah, like that when you scroll down the list of like things to select. Yeah, yeah podcast was there. Podcast was there. I, I didn't have any. I, I didn't saw the point of having any <laughs> listening to somebody for an hour talking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, my first podcast was, um, Serial season one, um, which was a very like popular, like mm -hmm. pop culture icon. And like, what year was that? Like mid 2010s, maybe, or early 2010s. Way I don't back. really know. Um, I think it was like 2015 or something. And that was like, oh, okay, so this is a podcast. So I thought of it more <laughs> like a storytelling. Yeah. Um, but it is like the, a podcast could be so many different things now, which I find mm -hmm. um, really interesting. Like news outlets are using podcasts as a way to deliver news. Um, yep. So yeah, it's definitely like a, it's a cool outlet now. Yeah, we're creators now. That's, that's yes. pretty cool. Content creators, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've been following you for a couple of years now um, on LinkedIn and um, it was only until recently when I was researching you for the podcast that I realized you're an American. I thought you were from the UK actually, yeah. but you, you were part of like um, sisterhood as well and, and all that sort of stuff. I was like <laughs> picturing movies in my head. And <laughs> so yes. Oh my what's gosh. Your story? Is, yeah. It's so funny, like especially being over here um in Europe and having like my my so my first job out of college or university as we say over here um was a what we call collegiate development consultant or CDC for short uh, not to mm -hmm. be confused with the the health department at the in the yeah. US <laughs> um but basically so I worked for my sorority for a year and I would travel around to different college campuses and work with that sorority chapter, like at that 
university and like advise them, you know, do some like team building activities. And I would be there from anywhere like five to 10 days. And mm-hmm. I'd basically come in and it was like internal affairs and like auditing, <laughs> um, okay. but also like trying to, you know, help improve things where they needed improvement or, um, or, you know, whatever. So it was, you know, I was on the road every, yeah, five to 10 days. I took, I think I I kept a list of all of the flights I went on in nine months. And it was like something ridiculous. I think I traveled like 60,000 air miles in nine months or something like that. Um, so I saw lots of really small towns in the U S um, spent a lot of time in the Atlanta airport, uh, living out of two suitcases, but it's, um, it's like, a, I don't know, it's a one, it's a one year job. And mm-hmm. it, w- it really kind of helped me realize that I really like working with other people and helping them like develop and improve, which when I then moved on to like my first, like real corporate job, um, in sales, kind of missed that like connection of Mm -hmm. like being a part of someone else's like development and experience and like being successful um i like definitely get my fulfillment through like seeing others succeed and hopefully being a small part of that journey and so um i quickly transitioned to like a, a training type role um at my company and then you know, rest is history and enablement. But, um, but yeah, in in the U.S., like the, the we call it like the Greek system. So sororities and fraternities are really mm-hmm. popular depending on the university you go to. But the stereotype in <laughs> film is hilarious, and um, definitely is. Um, there are some truths to some of those stereotypes depending on the university. But like where I went to university. Um, I went to Oregon State, like it's a pretty like laid back, like, you know, Pacific Northwest, like kind of chill vibe. Um, so it's not quite like House Bunny, if you're going to, if you're going to watch that movie, <laughs> or, like Legally Blonde, yeah. right? Um, so yeah, it is very different, but it is kind of funny to say that I was president of my sorority when I tell people over here, because they just think of like those movies. <laughs> yeah, 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 I can't, I, yeah. I'm not gonna lie it is the first thing that comes to mind is like the movies that you've seen and then you yeah you, you continue clicking to the to the page of it and it says like 250,000 members and whatever and they're like whoa <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean so it's a they say it's a lifetime membership so like it's not just for four years so I'm technically still a member of the of the sorority yep. um, and people are involved like throughout like adulthood as well like you know, we kind of go in and out with how involved you are, but um, yeah, it's it's a really, I mean, it's a great way to meet new people. So when I think about like networking opportunities and um, things like that, like it's really good for for women coming out of university and making connections mm-hmm. and whatever career choice that they're going to have, um, especially if you know they. St- try and stay involved in like the alumni um, associations and chapters. Like it's a great way if you're me- moving to a new city. That's how I met my roommate when I moved to New York. I knew no one when I moved there and thought to myself, how am I going to find a roommate? And I thought, okay, Delta Gamma is the way I'm going to do it because there's, you know, 100 and at the time, 140 something chapters across the U.S. So chances are someone else is going to need a roommate in New York City. Um, So it's it's a really good way to to network for sure. That's pretty cool. And if you you look back at it, do you have, um, can you think of things that you're currently like professionally or or personally that have shaped you by uh, being part of that group and, and having that yeah next to college you have that environment basically where you learn different set of skills yeah so um so sororities and fraternities like when you're in them they talk about being values-based organizations so usually Mm -hmm. they were all started by a group of people with some sort of a common value and then 
um, built everything around those values and building this like club basically around these yeah. values. And so um, there was definitely a focus on that um, in our sorority. And I, I really kind of like helped shape like, okay, like being kind to people and giving back, like community service was a really big part of it. Um, and so those types of things are, have definitely kind of helped me like shape who I am as a leader and like being kind and empathetic and um, mm -hmm. like servant leadership basically. Um, and then when I, when I was president, I learned a lot of like hard lessons um, when, because I was president of a group of a hundred women between the ages of 18 and 22. And like your, any decision you make is going to upset someone. And so um, you have to really like be steadfast in your decisions. And um, sometimes I, I was, and I actually like made decisions that were super unpopular. Um, and like, I just kind of had to live with that, but like it was for the be better part or for the good of the group basically to make those types mm -hmm. of decisions. And, um, and it's kind of the same now in leadership, like sometimes it's not popular to say like, okay, we have to change like your compensation plan or, um, your quotas are going to increase or, you know, we need to change this part of our process or whatever. And sometimes people don't like it, but like you have to come, like you have to make a decision as a leadership team and like be unified in that. Um, and so I definitely learned those skills. I wouldn't say I perfected those skills um, and was an expert in them through that experience, but it definitely was like my first kind of foray into uh, like leadership skills that I've honed over the rest of my career. Mm -hmm. And um, did it is, it, is it now easier to make that sort of decisions or or to not take it personally when people like come back at you? Um, yeah, and, and that has definitely like not taking things personally, that has been a, like a journey for me. Um, like I take a lot of pride in my work, but I also have to remind myself that just because like I gave like my eff all my effort into something mm -hmm. and it didn't go the way that we hoped doesn't mean like I'm not good at my job or I'm a less of a person or you know I don't deserve to be here so those types of you know emotions I've definitely like worked on over the last especially like the last five years in my career um, but like my team is here to be a service to the sales team. And so if something's not going well, like I want to know and I want to be able to help. Um, so I always go back to like, I'm here to help you. And if we aren't helping you or we're not giving you the type of help that you need, like I want to know and I want to improve that. So um, I will say that that has been a journey for me. I used to take things really personally and um, that's just not, great like for your mental health at the end of the yeah, day sure. to like shut your laptop and like have a, like your weekend ruined or your evening ruined because you took something personally at work and like it's not it's not personal um and it's just work mm -hmm. and we're all human so yeah i definitely that experience has helped me for sure yeah yeah indeed it's it's a it's a fair point that you make and how did you like coming back from that how did you how were you able to separate work from personal life at 5 p.m. when you close your laptop <laughs> and like, OK, um, something shit happened and I need to let go of it? <laughs> yeah. What's your modus operandi? <laughs> if it's a really bad day at work and again, I'm not taking it personally, but if it's a really bad day, I try and completely switch my mindset. So like, I love playing like Animal Crossing on the Nintendo Switch, cause it's like this idyllic world where there's no problems <laughs> and you just gotta like try on a new outfit or like plant some carrots or something. So like, I really like like that kind of escapism. Um, my husband and I will play like Stardew Valley together or like try and play like some sort of a video game or, um, I, I really like Harry Potter. Like I'm 
in my 30s and still read, watch, listen to the books. And so um, if it's like, if I just need a reset, sometimes I'll just like listen to that and just be like, okay, like let's escape this real world and like go to some other world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and I think like for me that that typically works or we'll just like watch The Office, the US version of The Office. We, my husband and I have watched it so many times and it just like it is the one show that even if I don't feel like laughing I put on an episode and I will inevitably laugh at least once or twice in that and watching a short 20 minute episode and so um just trying to like switch my mindset away from work um Mm -hmm. those are kind of the ways that I kind of separate work in That's life awesome. a bit yeah <laughs> i love the openness <laughs> I yeah just i mean there. hey why not <laughs> yes very true um so we're we're some minutes into the episode um and maybe it's a good point to explain to the audience uh what you do for a living um but instead of giving me a pitch uh put yourself in the mind of your husband and i ask him what you do for a living <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's such a great question. So my husband will say, um, my wife works in sales enablement and operations. Um, My husband actually knows what that is because my husband is in sales. (laughs) Uh, So I'm in the unique position that my husband actually does understand my job. Um, Mm -hmm. And so he'll say that he helps with, um, or that I help with training and coaching and working in Salesforce. And those things are true. I really don't work in Salesforce. Like I have a, my RevOps team does a lot of that work. I definitely don't want to take credit for the work that they do. Um, but I would say like by, by nature and like my, most of my career has been in the enablement space. And that is probably mm-hmm. what he would say. And I'm in meetings all the time is what also he would say. <laughs> He's always amazed at how much time I spend on Zoom every day. And he hates meetings, so he doesn't know how I do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's something that I've noticed with a lot of people in enablement that they spend majority of their time in meetings. Like, do you, is it for productivity that you do that? Or do you think like I could spend my time much more productive if I had less meetings? I definitely think if we had less meetings, we would be more productive. Um, But I think the fact that we need to be in so many meetings Mm -hmm. or we are in so many is um, a testament to the enablement um, team's reputation um, and the value that they provide that organization. I would -hmm. would rather be in too many meetings and know too much of what's going on and have to like filter back and be like, okay, I actually don't need to be involved in this than the Mm -hmm. opposite because it is a lot harder to try and claw your way to a seat at the table and be like, hey, can you please let us know if you're gonna launch a new product at least a few weeks before you're gonna do it because we gotta train the team and we have to enable them and that just doesn't happen overnight. I would much rather be like, hey guys, loot me in a month ahead of time. Like, thanks for letting me know a new product's coming, but I'll tap out for you know, the next month while you guys figure out the stuff. And then once you figured it out, then I'll come back in. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm in a really good position because most of the people I work with are in the US. So being in London from 9 a.m. until usually about like 1, 1.30 uh, UK time, I really don't have meetings. And so that's mm-hmm. my productive time. And so that's my focus. I get pretty much four or five hours of uninterrupted working time, which is amazing. But then literally from 1.30 until six, seven, if like I allow it, like I will be in meetings literally back to back. So it's like a tale of two yeah. halves of a working day. It's like really yeah, quiet and mixture. then back to back Zoom meetings. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, what does your day to day look like? Like what is enablement at the company where you are? So that's Andela, right? If I pronounce it correctly. Yes, you did pronounce it correctly. It's Andela. <laughs> um, so there are, I have four people on the enablement team um, and we support 
the SDR organization, sales, and our client services or like our account management teams. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have, there's an enablement manager for each of those three um, cohorts or roles within the sales team. And then um, I have one person who is solely dedicated to our onboarding program and the development and management um, and execution of those programs because we have a different onboarding program for every role, right? Like you, as an SDR, you shouldn't have the same onboarding program as a client partner, um, which is what we call our account managers. Um, And SMB and enterprise also have a different lens to them as well because our messaging is probably a little bit different. The companies we're targeting is obviously different. Personas might be a little bit different. So we have a couple different um, variations and you absolutely need one person to manage that. Um, It's really hard to do like off the side of your desk or as like a part of your job. So Mm -hmm. um, we have one person that handles that. That must be quite a challenge to build onboarding programs for every single role and then split it down to sectors even or or target audiences. Mm -hmm. Like what are the tools that you use to support that process? Because like, I'm doing it in Google Drive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we leverage, um, we're a Showpad customer, so they're an, an enablement mm-hmm. platform. Um, so we use their Showpad coach um, functionality. So we build like basically like a learning path, which shows like every yeah. day for two weeks, here's what you're going to be doing. So anything that is self-guided, um, whether that's like a, training video or read this document or listen to this gong call, for example, we'll have that outlined in Showpad. But then we also have to leverage um, Google Calendar um, for all of our live sessions. So we do a hybrid onboarding program and um, it's not a perfect solution. I think Malvina and I have talked about this on the enablement brew, like if there could be a tool out there that can schedule live onboarding uh, meetings and invite everyone to it automatically, it would be amazing because you have the same sessions, typically the same times and days of the week every time you run a program, but Mm -hmm. doing the calendar management for that is a nightmare. So we actually have like a calendar that we invite new hires to, that's not a, a perfect process. Um, and so we do like Zoom meetings um, for the live trainings, and then we use Showpad for self-guided, and then we use the tools, our tech stack, um, for actually like practicing um, the real mm-hmm. work that they're gonna do um, once they leave onboarding. So um, thankfully we've come up with a really good formula for that. Um, and so once you've built the first um, program, it's kind of like rinse and repeat for all the other ones. And you just kind of have to plug and play like the topics and the sessions, but, um, it definitely took some trial and error to kind of come up with this approach for sure. Yeah. I can imagine. Do you also leverage things like LinkedIn learning where you can also create learning paths? Yeah. So we don't use LinkedIn specifically, but, um, we've been kind of using Coursera for business over the last year or so, um, as a way to provide ongoing development opportunities for our reps. And, um, the adoption of it hasn't been that great if I'm going to be honest, but, um, we, we're trying to figure out like, okay, what skills could we train? that we don't need to like build our own content for. And so mm-hmm. leveraging like Coursera or LinkedIn or you know you name it like s- those types of providers can be really good to supplement your like um yeah. proprietary content basically. So um I'm definitely not against it. It's just a bit challenging to um use those services if it's not integrated within like your existing like learning path structure Mm -hmm. because if you also think about it from like a new hires perspective they're learning a new company (laughs) they're probably super overwhelmed they're at cognitive load at like 10 a.m and then 
they're learning all of these new tools and they have to remember like, okay, I have to go to this tool for this and I have to go to this tool for this. And if you have multiple tools yeah. where their learning's supposed to happen, can be really confusing. So um, mm-hmm. that's usually the challenge I find with um, external providers is, is not having that like integration with our stack and being able to like meet yeah. us where we're working. Basically you need a tool that and does the in-house training facilitates uh, content and yep. your calendar and a Coursera that comes in it. Um, so you have a learning pad that is very structured. Yes. Maybe somebody's listening and knows a tool. <laughs> we never know. Would be helpful. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think it must be. It must be out there. It sounds obvious to um, make the combination. I guess. Yeah. Especially now, like post COVID, like onboarding yeah. programs are primarily going to be a hybrid program. Mm-hmm. Like there are there are companies out there that are going back to in person boot camps, um, but. I'd say a vast majority of companies are going to at least have some portion of their training strategy be hybrid. And so um, having a way to manage that um, in one place would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can tell from the look on your face. <laughs> it <laughs> is painful. <laughs> Where, where did you learn all this like about enablement? Because if I look back to your resume, um, you you started as uh, uh, sales development training stuff. Yeah. Like, but lit, I guess that was literally training people in some sort of, uh, yeah, not really the enablement as we know today. Let's say, let's say that. Yeah. So, um, I, so when I started like my corporate career, I was in a sales, they called it a sales development program. Um, and so, you know, I started off as like an account coordinator and I worked basically for a salesperson. And so I like was like the number two on their accounts. And so I would meet with clients. It was very much like a, a sales facing role, um, basically like, um, being trained over like a course of two years to become that like account director. And so um, I really learned like the sales fundamentals and like managing accounts through that. But I also like, I kind of hate to say it, but I think I have just like a natural sales like understanding and like ability, I guess. Like I could, um, probably be a salesperson if I wanted to, um, but I just don't really want to sell. (laughs) And so I kind of learned that pretty early on, but um, I just have like this, I would say like a natural like understanding of the process and like just being um, like working with customers and like being a service to a client basically. Um, And then so I moved into um, this training coordinator role which was primarily classroom facilitation. So our onboarding program at this company was all classroom based. It was all like live in a classroom for three days. Um, And so I did a lot of like coordination of like logistics. We flew people in from all of our offices over the US and Canada. And um, so it was, you know, logistics and just being organized, but then it was also doing some actual facilitation of training. And so I learned a lot of that from my manager at the time who had my job before me. She'd done a lot of training. So she taught me a lot of like facilitation basics and um, just how to be organized. But then the other part of the job was actually um, creating like e-learning content Um, We had an LMS, we had never used it before. We were kind of thinking like, could we start to build e-learning videos, but no one knew how to do any of that. So I'm completely self-taught in like e-learning development. Um, So I read up on Addy, which is um, like a instructional design approach. I taught myself how to use Adobe Captivate and that took like years of, you know, self teaching to kind of like not master yeah. that that tool because it is really difficult to use, but at least like become pretty proficient in it. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I would say like I'm self-taught in some of that, and then 
Um, my next role was a true like instructional designer role where I was doing primarily e-learning development. But then I found myself kind of gravitating towards working with the sales leader um, at the company and like strategizing and thinking about things beyond just a training perspective. And so that's really where like the enablement like skill set and muscle started to be built. And that was before like I even knew that enablement was like a title or even like a, a job. And so um, from there, I just kind of found myself like, how can I help this sales leader like implement strategy and like, you know, roll out new processes and things like that. So that's kind of where I um, really continued that yeah, if I, if I think about enablement, it, it can, it's so much stuff, like I wouldn't know where to start. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's always something that I, uh, yeah, I can't wrap my head around, like, where do I start? What what do I need to learn? Do I need to be creative? Do I need to be analytical? Um, are you creative? Because it's, creating, yeah. learning, e-learning courses and that sort of stuff, like you must be you definitely have to have both sides of the brain because um, like you need to be creative in how you approach training and um, mm -hmm. coming up with like unique ideas to get people's attention and keep people's attention. You know, our attention spans are decreasing like every day. And so especially for salespeople who are focused on, I need to hit quota. And so to be distracted by an enablement program coming in and be like, hey, take this training, <laughs> like it better be <laughs> worth their time, right? So you definitely yeah. need to be creative, but you also need to have that uh, data-driven mindset of like, okay, how am I going to prove the value of that training was worth the, the time that it took sales to go through it and it actually made an impact on revenue and like, mm -hmm proving that is very can be really challenging so you have to have that data analytical brain as well um and it's really hard to go bounce between the two and so you have to be really disciplined about like okay like maybe today's a creative day and today is like or this time is my data time so every every morning at nine i have my data review so i like just know i'm going to spend probably my sharpest hours <laughs> fresh caffeine in me and look at data and then maybe later on in the day I'll do some more creative thinking before the meeting sets in so um mm -hmm. yeah it is a it's an interesting profession for sure um but you can come to enablement from a bunch of different backgrounds so like I came from like a sales and then learning and development type of background but there's plenty of people who have come from marketing um, or coming, you know, with more sales experience than I did. Like I had like a small sales experience. So I would primarily say I'm from like the learning and development background, but there's also people who carried a bag for 20 years and then said, I don't want a quota anymore, but I still want to be involved in sales. And they come to enablement that way. Um, so yeah, there's all these different ways to come to it, which is why I think enablement also means something different to probably every person you will talk to. Um, yeah. So, Definitely. yeah, it's really, it's a, I love being an enablement. I love the, the career. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah. What is the biggest thing that you're working on with enablement today? Like, what is your, what's the number one mistake that you're seeing and that is at the top of your mind that you need to solve tomorrow? Um, the, the thing that's hardest for my team is to prove the value of the programs we're building beyond onboarding. I think we've done a really good mm -hmm. job of like saying, this is the impact onboarding is having. Um, and like, it's a, an improvement from before enablement, but like we do a lot of other work and we have a lot of other projects, but it's really hard to say like, hey, this like had a positive impact on the business or this is how much revenue we achieved, revenue growth mm -hmm. that we helped um, influence. Um, it's all like correlation, right? It's not necessarily, um, it's not necessarily like we can take all the credit for all the revenue growth, but like 
what were we involved in and like how did we influence that and that that to me is one of the hardest things that I've been facing with enablement um basically the entire time I've been in enablement but especially now as my team starts to grow like um the larger your team, I feel like the larger like target you have to justify your your team size. So, yeah. you know, I have 11 people on my team across operations, strategy and enablement. And if it was just like me and one other person, we probably wouldn't get noticed. But now that there's so many of us, like I have to really prove not just for enablement, but for operations and the strategy team, like what value we're providing um, back to the business. and. If someone ever asked, like, could we be doing what you're doing with half as many people? Um, the answer is no, but I need to be able to back <laughs> that up. And that's probably like what's top of mind for me um, as I like kind of go into the rest of this year with my team is um, being able to like, you know, prove our value. Yeah. Yeah. The ROI of your enablement team. Exactly. Needs to be yeah. There. Yeah. And um, and in, inside your sales team, what what are you seeing there that people are struggling with that you're trying to solve? Um, but they're still not fully convinced. Like you you have issues with them following the trainings, but you see things that they actually should follow trainings. Yeah. So, so like um, the... <laughs> I know. I mean, so our our team does a pretty good job of um, taking training. Um, I I will say our our sales team. I, I feel like they really appreciate enablement and like the work that we do to support them. I think they they know that enablement is there to help them mm -hmm. be successful. Um, but some of the challenges that we're kind of facing is um, helping them with some of the basics. So like start of a first meeting or any meeting with a client or a prospect, you should set an agenda. You say, this is what we're going to talk about today and then have your conversation and then save time at the end to wrap up and talk about next steps, get that next meeting in the calendar. Some of these are like real, like the sales basics, but we have sellers who are like, I've been selling for 20 years. Like, I don't need to set an agenda. It's like, you have, you absolutely need to set an agenda. <laughs> um, and so some of those things, it's like, um, it can be really challenging to work with people when they don't see that the basics are necessary or that they are maybe too experienced to go back to basics. And um, we're, we're kind of working through that right now, which I find um, to be a fun challenge to get, you know, career salespeople to remember that an agenda is important or, you know, asking open ended questions or, you know, things like that. Um, but when we look at the yeah. data and they're not doing these things, like these are the little things that we can do to improve. Um, so that that's definitely one of the things that's kind of uh, top of our mind is just to go back to basics. Do you think it's it's because sales has evolved that things became more important or like they, they're used to the way of working and right now you see that, yeah, sales is changing uh, and you need to get back to the basics because that's just how it's done right now. Yeah, I love this question. Have you seen a significant impact? Yeah, so um, I think uh, because of the pandemic and we all went remote, um, it made it a lot easier to have meetings. And so Zoom, Teams, Google Meet, whatever you use, um, it made it so much easier to meet with people and both internally and externally. So you're getting, as a buyer, you're getting sold to all the time. And then like, oh yeah, sure. I'll just like take a meeting because like, I'm just sitting at home. I don't have to like have someone come to my office or, you know, whatever. Um, and so you're in more meetings now and you are so hyper aware of when a meeting is poorly run because chances are you could be doing something else with that time. Um, like Zoom was fun for like a couple months and it was like, oh my God, this could have been an email or oh my God, like I'm in my seventh Zoom meeting of the day, let alone the week, right? So um, I think because of this, 
people expect and almost demand like excellence when it comes from salespeople. I do like as a buyer and enablement and operations, like I expect a salesperson to have an agenda, send me a follow-up email. I need to know what the next steps are. Like I almost like that's a non-starter for me, like a flawless sales process before I even consider buying your product. Um, now there are definitely people out there not as like strict about that as me. I mean, it's just like in my blood cause it's enablement. Right. But, um, but it like, if you're not doing those basics and like, you know, leading with curiosity and asking open-ended questions, like, um, setting an agenda, wrapping up on time, um, the buyer is probably gonna be like, what's the point? Right. Like I'm not mm-hmm. feeling heard or this like person doesn't, didn't prepare for this meeting. Um, so I definitely think the bar has been raised because of the way that we're selling now is all mm-hmm. virtual. Um, you, you have to like, you have to make that meeting worth that person's while and the basics, um, are going to be mm-hmm. really important. Yeah, for sure. We're, we're currently producing with sound of sales, we're producing t-shirts that says human to human because we have the feeling that that is the next step in B2B sales is that people are becoming more aware of what's happening. And that's actually a person at the other side yes. and that you need to take your time to make it worth their time. I love that's that. exactly what you, yeah, it's exactly what you're saying. Um, what are, what are other, because it's super interesting. What are other basics that you see people are missing? Um, it's a really good question. So one of the things that I notice, you know, I sit in on like our pipeline reviews and, um, our our sales leader will ask like the same, like three or four questions with every opportunity that they go through in the pipeline. And it's amazing how a salesperson who has worked probably hundreds of opportunities in their tenure still doesn't do certain things in the process that they know they're going to be asked about um, multiple times a week. And so that's where, like, for me, it's like, okay, you know that you need to have um, a prep call with our talent. You need to uh, set up the interviews and then set up a feedback call. Like, these are things that you have to do with every single person that's going to interview with a client. So, like, why haven't why, why don't you set those things up? And so, um, I think about like, what could we be doing from an enablement perspective to help people to like, remember to do everything that they know they need to be do, but like to do, but like to remind them like, Hey, like this opportunity, you've done these things and you still need to do these things. It's almost like the checklist um, for every opportunity because they're managing so many. Like, of course, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, I haven't scheduled that call yet or I haven't done this yet or I don't know the answer to this. But there has to be a way to to make gathering that information and presenting that back to them really easy. Um, and so it's it's really like opportunity management and funnel management is something that I see that a lot of salespeople kind of struggle with. Um, and the ones who can do it really well are the ones who are, are really successful because um, that's like a, a huge skill to have. And you have to be super organized to do that. And it, again, it's like your left brain, right brain kind of working together um, in sales. And so, uh, yeah, that I think that's something I've been noticing recently. Yeah, we too. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't use this platform to pitch, but that's actually the product that we're building is to help salespeople remember stuff. I didn't even realize that. <laughs> <laughs> but that that's fine because a podcast is a podcast. <laughs> so um, if you think about salespeople, um, you think about enablement, they, they, you try to enable them to create this culture of everybody is doing their thing as a results oriented culture. If you if you think about the long term, what what is your ideal results oriented culture? Mm. Interesting. Um, I actually really 
don't know. Um, when it comes to like tech that I think could be really interesting in the future for salespeople, um, similar to like what we were just talking about, about like capturing all of that important information is um, when you're in a call, um, like on Zoom, for example, and like you almost have like your cheat sheet or like your your playbook in there. And like, if it could say like, okay, these are the things that you, you have talked about, like this information you still need to gather. It's almost like using whatever like methodology that you use, if you use medic or bant or whatever, um, but in a way that's like easily there. And um, like, if we're thinking super futuristic, it's like being like auto-populated based on the conversation that you're having. Like note, like we have Gong and Chorus and all of these like call recording tools that are great. And like, I think that's the first step. What's going to make those even more helpful is if like, we just have this conversation and then my Bant scorecard is filled out (laughs) because we've talked about budget, authority, need, and timing. I don't want to have to like re- input all of that information. Like if it's like we had the conversation, like put it in the CRM for me. Um, So like that kind of stuff, I think to help make salespeople be more like efficient. um, Like, I think that would, that will be like kind of a cool um, improvement. I could see that, you know, Um, and like salespeople can focus on what they're really good at and that's selling and being client facing Salespeople yeah. are not good at updating the CRM, <laughs> you know, and like and that, any salesperson will yeah. pay that. So what can we do to make that not be such a huge requirement for their job? Um, and I don't know, I would love to see some sort of like advances like that. Yeah. And that's the thing what I meant with human to human. I think a lot of salespeople are often caught up in clicking around the CRM, trying to find data. Um, if there's a call, they forget to send that agenda because they just didn't have the time for it yet because they're all over the place. But if, if you could bring it back to that human to human element where a salesperson only has to care of me and you, we're going to have a conversation. It's going to be about this and I don't have to worry about all the rest. I think that is like the, I think the world is moving towards it with the VR and mm-hmm. with with all the technology that's being created. Um, it can have a huge impact of the way that not only sales teams work, but like anybody. Yeah, I know. I think someone said like, maybe in you know five years, I'll be having this meeting in the metaverse. Mm-hmm. And I just thought to myself, what is this world going to look like? <laughs> like... I just can't understand, like, I just can't wrap my head around, like, you know, a virtual reality, like, world like that. Um, But, you know, I do need to sit down and think about, like, what is that going to mean for enablement? What's it going to mean for um, operations? And how do we help our teams be successful in that type of world? Because I think that is the direction we're going in. I don't know when that's going to happen, but... um, that will totally change the way you sell. If you're going to sell like in this metaverse, it's going to be very different than I think selling on Zoom. So um, that'll be like another like paradigm shift for us as a, like a sales profession. So um, yeah, I definitely think, yeah, I got to like spend more time contemplating that I one. Think, I think <laughs> it's going to be like this podcast could be inside Animal Crossing. <laughs> that would be so fun. <laughs> Oh my gosh. You put your VR goggles on and you're like, you're there. <laughs> oh my God. I would love that. I even like have like a cute little like spot where there's like a fire plate, like a fire pit and like you could like sit and like have a chat. Um, it is happening. That would be real escapism there for sure. I would love that. Or maybe not. <laughs> maybe it, it, it all blends in together and then yeah. something else. <laughs> it becomes real life at that point. Yeah. <laughs> It's happening. You're like sitting at your desk inside Animal Crossing. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's the future. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. That, yeah, that's, I guess that's the future. It could happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, as a, as a last question, um, if I could give you a billboard at the side of the road, what would you put on it? Be kind. Okay. And why? 
Do you do you have situations yeah. that you can think of that you thought like, hmm, kindness could have solved this? Uh, I think a lot of situations in life. Mm-hmm. Um, think about like what's happening in the world right now yep. with the Ukraine-Russia conflict. Um, you know, in in the U.S. over the last couple of years, there's been like this, you know, resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement and. Um, I think all of this stems to like, we are all different um, as human beings. Like we are not the same. And that's what makes like the world a really amazing place to live in is that you can interact with people from all these different cultures and all of these different religions and backgrounds and experiences. And like, because of that, we're not going to be the same and we're not gonna have the same points of views. And um, I think if we just treated each other with a lot more kindness um, and understanding of, you know, this person's probably having a bad day and I just happen to be like the person they're taking it out on. Like just being kind, I think can go a really long way. And um, like, I, it's like the golden rule, right? Like treat people how you would want to be treated. and I just wish that there was more of that in the world. Like, I really do wish that people were more kind to each other and um, more empathetic to just other people's backgrounds and experiences. Because if we all were the same, um, I think that would be a disaster. Yeah. That would be horrible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, that's like, that would be the message I would want to share with the world is just to be kind. Yeah. Yeah, it's something that you see a lot on LinkedIn as well, where people are taking other people out on a cold call, for example, but are the ones teaching their team to cold call. You know what I mean? Like, yes, <laughs> yes exactly. It's like, there's no point. Yeah, even when I get cold called, it's like, it's like kind of an inconvenience. It doesn't happen very often, to be honest. But I will always be like nice to that person. Mm-hmm. Um, I might not take the meeting. But I will be nice to them. And like, I think there is a difference between kindness and just like being a pushover. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely think um, there's a lot of like hypocrisy on LinkedIn yeah. that I find to be interesting to watch. Um, yeah, that's true. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> let's not let's not go out about that. Um, cool. Um, well, I would love to thank you for joining me on The Sound of Self. This was so much fun and definitely like one of the most unique like podcast experiences I've ever had. I loved it. Thank you for having me. Thanks a lot for your feedback. I like that. I'm going to put it on a quote on the T-shirt. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was it was like a great balance of personal background, work background. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. So thank you for having me.